0: Lord, we love you. How wonderful to sing a song. There is no other name than Jesus. Um, that our heart can sing to you. That you saved us from our sin. That you have, as we're going to read it, that we have died so that we may, died and rose against, so that we may die to our sins and live to righteousness. We thank you for that. We thank you for this book of, of First Peter and all that you're teaching us in it. Lord, it is difficult. It is beautiful. It is challenging. It is freeing. As we look at husbands today, Lord, we need your help. We need your help, Lord. We ask for your guidance and your wisdom. We ask for your your compassion on us. Teach us, Lord Jesus. Teach us as we open your word. If you're a husband today, I want you to just take a moment and just thank the Lord for the privilege of being a husband. I want you to ask him to teach you today how you can walk, in godliness, to grow in grace as a husband. If you are a wife, hearing this today, I want you to just just pray for your husband. Ask that the Lord would encourage him and challenge him and help him to grow into the man that the Lord wants him to be. Ask the Lord how you can help him in that. you are neither a husband nor a wife today, I just pray that the Lord would teach you, encourage you, strengthen your walk with him, that you could be counsel to someone, that you can grow, you can better understand something of the Lord from what we do today. Lord, we bring only ourselves to you, and when we do that, we are left with the reality that the cross is what saved us in your death and resurrection, and that we come to you as sinners saved by grace, Yet we come before the throne of mercy and ask for help in our time of need, help us understand, help us comprehend, help us apply and live out the truth you want to teach us. In Christ's risen name we pray, amen. So we're in 1 Peter 3, 7, and I'm going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it. Here we go. It says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. If you're wondering how we're going to spend the next little bit on one verse, uh, it's the Bible. So just hold on. There's a lot in there. All right, so. Chapter 3 starts with wives, right? This is the instruction directed to wives. Um, verse 7 starts with husbands, so meaning the, the, the male counterpart of the marriage, right? So you've got this next phrase, in the same way. So if you go up to verse 1, you'll see it says wives in the same way. So it says in the same way. If you see that in the Bible, you want to read up ahead and say, well, in what same way? And you keep reading up and it says, well, wives in the same way. Well, well what same way is that? And if you keep reading up, you end up in chapter 2. And it says, talking about Jesus... In verse 22, it says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And that Christ is our example. We should follow in his steps. In verse 21, that when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. For you were Like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way; husbands, in the same way. So when it says in the same way, that the the context is that we are to like Jesus to do something. Well, what was, what is that same way that is the same way that that Jesus in his ministry walked with the Father, and that it was in, in an attitude of utter humility, of absolute surrender. And of joyful obedience. So our attitude, husbands, as we be considerate, treat them with respect. Our attitude is to be one of utter humility, absolute surrender, and joyful obedience. So that's where we're starting. In the same way, that's sort of the foundation of where this whole thing is beginning. So it says, in the same way, be considerate. Your your version may say something different. It may say, oh... I don't know, there's lots of translations that are, there's a lot of wonky, not wonkiness, but a lot of variance in your translations in this particular passage. But this word for considerate, when you look at how the NIV translates it, and I I want to look at the, what does the word mean in English, right? Like you say, well, that's very inconsiderate of you. Or you say, well, that's not very considerate. And and we have a way broad meaning of it. And so I want to look at the word for it. And here's what I came up with. Uh, It is behavior that is kind and considers others' feelings. Makes sense? Okay. Kind and considers others' feelings. It is kindness and thoughtful regard for others. That's consideration. Kindness and thoughtful regard for others. It is continuous and careful thought toward another person. Continuous and careful thought toward another person. And it actually comes from a, a Latin word, a combination of a Latin word, which means to observe the stars. Isn't that crazy. That consideration is this idea of observing the stars. When you see husbands, in the same way, be considerate. I want you to think about a child looking at the nighttime sky for the first time. Right? They are full of awe and wonder. I want you to think about an astrophysicist whose job it is to look at the heaven, to consider the stars all the time, to look at them and measure the light that comes off of them and do all this math and science to discover the great complexity of this created universe that we inhabit. And I want you husbands to, we're going to talk about this later, but to have that as sort of the anchor in your mind as observing the stars. Because in, um, in the King James, the, the Greek word for that considerate there is, is, is the word for knowledge. And the, the King James says to live with your wives according to knowledge, which is far better than living with your wives according to ignorance, by the way. So, you don't want to do that. I mean, you can, but it's not going to be fun. So it's this under it's this idea of, of applying knowledge so that you can treat her in a certain way, to be continuous and careful in your thought toward her. Next phrase says, as you live with your wives. So uh, for all the grammarians out there, um, that is in the, the present active participle, which means it's an action that is Happening now and is continuing on in the future, right? So it's like as you keep on living with your wife. So you be considerate to her as you keep on living with her. So it doesn't say be considerate to her as you're walking away from the marriage, right? That's not in here. It doesn't say be considerate to her as you leave. But as you live with her, you are to treat her and have behavior that is kind and considerate, that is kind and thoughtful toward her. So there's an idea in our culture um, that marriage is sort of, oh, the usefulness of it is kind of past, and just just let me say that it hasn't, okay, that marriage is bigger than us, that God designed marriage to be a picture of the gospel. If you've ever are around, um, when I'm doing a sermon, I always preach out of Ephesians 5, this beautiful picture of husbands loving their wives as Christ loves the church and wives uh, respecting their husbands is this beautiful relationship that he lays out that is supposed to shine the light of the gospel to a broken world. I also realize that the Bible, will, the truth will hold up the ideal, and then we live down here in like the real world, right, where marriage is hard. And so when it says husbands, Be considerate as you live with your wives. Husbands, stick around, okay? Also, wives, please stick around. But husbands, stick around. Uh, A very wise woman whose daughter I married was once uh, talking to us about some wisdom that she gave a young married couple. And the uh, husband and wife were fighting, and the girl was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. I'm going to go hang out with my parents for a couple of weeks. And she just simply told her, stay. Because every time you leave, it gets easier to leave. And every time you stay, you practice staying. And so, it's this idea of continue to live with your wife. Trev talked a little bit about this last week, and I'll just briefly touch on it. This passage does not really discuss it, but... This idea of, of women submitting to their husbands, please don't ever, 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 ever read that, is that you should submit to abuse, okay, because that happens, and it's brutal and awful, and this is not what that is talking about. You're not to submit to abuse or mistreatment, okay? You're not to do that. If you are being abused as a wife, you need to get out and get help. Can I just say that? That you're free to do that. I'm not telling you to divorce. I'm telling you that you do not have to submit to an abusive person. You don't have to. You submit to the Lord, and he is not abusive. The picture here is never of a submission to abuse. And so you have these husbands who are supposed to live with their wives. And then it says, and treat them with respect. Various versions say, show honor, bestow honor, uh, to to honor her. And it's actually the same word. The the word means evaluation of something, uh, to test something's worth or preciousness. And in chapter 2, verse 7 of Peter, the same book, you flip back, it's talking about this, that uh, Jesus is this precious cornerstone and that those who trust in him will never be put to shame. And in verse 7, to those who believe, this stone, Jesus, is precious. Jesus is precious to those who believe. That's the same word that he's using here when he says to treat them with respect or to honor them. It's to honor their inherent preciousness. That in the same way that a believer is to look to Jesus and consider him precious, a husband is to look to his wife and see in her the value that God gives her. And in that way, she is to be precious to him. I mean, ladies, is there any one of you who would not want a man who will look at you and value you for your inherent preciousness? Like that is, a, I, We have a daughter, and man, that is... Whatever guy wants to marry her, better say that, or he's not getting far. So he's got three brothers to get through already. So that you're to be valued for your inherent preciousness. We live in a culture that does not value the inherent preciousness of femininity anymore. There's a mocked and a created value, but not a true value. Because the true value of womanhood values you for who God says you are. And that can never change. That's why that song says, I am who you say I am. Husbands, you're supposed to value your wives and treasure them as precious. And then, let's look at the grammar here for a second. So it says, as you live with your wives, and then it says, and treat them with respect or honor them. And there's two things in here. It says, as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. So this word may say weaker vessel or weaker partner or because she is a woman. There's all these different translations in there. And it gets sticky, right? Because if you walk up to people and they're like, hey, why if you're weaker? Uh, high five. I mean, that doesn't super work. So what, is it, what does it mean when you're reading the Bible? The job is to figure out what it means, Right? And then to do what it says. Figuring out what it means is always, sometimes it's really easy. Jesus says, love your neighbor. You're supposed to love your neighbor. Okay, you can't really get around it. Treat people like they want to be treated. Okay, don't worship idols. Right, don't worship idols. But then it says, with respect as the weaker partner. That word for partner is really the word vessel. This idea of a, of a vessel that is more frail than another vessel. And so some commentators have looked at, uh, say maybe it's a, a woman's... Uh, Physical weakness, but there's there are are women who could punch me out, and so there's pick me up and throw me across a room. I mean, there's and if you take it in the context of here, remember that Peter has addressed three different groups here. He has addressed three groups that are supposed to submit to something. He has addressed Christians who are supposed to submit to a pagan government, right? He's we've already gone over that. Submit to your government. He has addressed slaves who are supposed to submit to their masters and wives who are supposed to submit to their husbands. I don't want you to equate those, those things. The, those are all three distinct relationship paradigms. Uh, a, a government to its citizen, and a master to its slave, and a husband to its wife. These are all distinct categories. So, so don't think that a husband and wife is like slave to master is like government to citizen to government. It's not like that. They're all, they're distinct relationships. Husband and wife being the most distinct of all of those. But this idea that in each one of those scenarios, there is a party that is submitting to the other, and in doing that, they have an inherent vulnerability. So that as a wife submits to her husband, she is, by fearlessly trusting Christ and submitting to a human man, that she is in in a, a weaker or more vulnerable position. Does that make sense? Because if any of you know me, uh, my wife is like not weaker than me in any way, shape, or form. And so it does not mean weakness like we think of weakness. It means because of her fearless submission to the Lord, a wife is then in a more vulnerable position than the husband. Also, culturally speaking, in this era, the Roman woman was, had no status, was often valued as property, could not vote. Was not a citizen. So as a woman, she was weaker, far weaker in society than her husband was. That could also be playing into this. But it's this idea, I think, I think the best way to look at it is this idea of because of her submission that she's in a place of vulnerability. Husbands, don't you dare take advantage of that. That will make me so angry. Don't do it. And if I hear that you've done it, I'm going to get really mad at you. And I'll bring other men and we'll all be mad at you together. <laughs> and we'll sit down and we'll say, Mm-mm, you don't do that because we love you. Don't you dare take advantage of her submission to you. Don't ever do it. And ladies, don't let a guy do that. That's not what this is saying. As a matter of fact, it's saying the exact opposite of taking advantage, just to be considerate and to show you respect. So do you, I want you to see though the comparison here as a weaker partner, and then it says as heirs with you. So these two things are contrasted, and here's why. That word for heirs is fellow heirs or co-heirs, and it's used four times in the New Testament. So it's used in Romans 8 where it says that we are uh, uh, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ in his kingdom, in Romans 8. And, and In Ephesians chapter 3, it says that Jews and Gentiles are fellow heirs of the promise of redemption. That there was this big thing between Jews and Gentiles, which was the law, and that Christ came and abolished this dividing wall that was between Jew and Gentile. They are now co-heirs, fellow heirs of the same promise. In Hebrews 11, it looks at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That even though the promise was given to Abraham, that they dwelt in tents together with Isaac and Jacob. And they were all heirs of the same promise of redemption. That God had given Abraham this redemptive promise. I will send a redeemer. And that promise goes all the way through Abraham, all the way through the nation of Israel. And now that we, after the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we are now sharers in that redemptive story. The fourth time it's used is right here. That husbands and wives are fellow heirs, co-heirs of what? The gracious gift of life. This idea that it is the gift of eternal life that we are both fellow heirs of. So though she might be, Vulnerable, she is a co-heir with you, and that means she shares partnership with you, and she shares, there is this idea of a shared responsibility with you. That she has equal value, equal worth, equal right, equal inheritance. So this is another situation where this is incredibly contrary to the Culture of the day that Peter was writing to, most women were not the heir. That there was a male heir, and the the man received the inheritance. The girl did not. in the, in the book of, in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, that actually, How's it book of Judges? Now I can't remember Deuteronomy. Help me. Anyway, where there was a no male heir, and so they they gave it to the the daughter. And this this idea that that God is God is perfectly fair. I want us to remember that that. As a son and as a daughter of God, you share the same inheritance. And so as a husband, in the same way live with your wives, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as the weaker partner and heirs. Because one of them is vulnerability and the other one is absolute right. An heir to the inheritance of eternal life. Nothing could ever be worth more And yet, every wife, every Christian, every man, every believing woman, every believing man is co-heir of the exact same inheritance. And that brings with it just this incredible sense of worth. Then he says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, so the word for hinder really means to, it means literally to like cut off a path. So if you think like a path going through the mountain. So they didn't have eight-lane highways then. Uh, A road was narrow, often cut through um, rugged territory. And so a landslide would be very difficult because you might not be able to get around it. And this idea of hindering is is really a word that means to cut off your way. And it's like if you took, um, a page literally just came out of my Bible. I need to glue that back in later. Um, so, the uh, I need that in there. I need to read this and remember it a bunch. So, yeah, First Peter just fell out. So, um, it's okay. It's all right. The, uh, the word of the Lord is everlasting, but this Bible is not. So, thankfully, um, we're good. So, this idea, right, that it says, Husbands, leave with your wives in a considerate way. Uh, treat them with respect as the weaker partner, So that nothing will hinder your prayer. It's this idea of like if your road to work, you drove down Broadway Extension, and you came and and you took a a bulldozer and dug up Broadway Extension and piled up all the rubble in front of you, that would hinder your way. If you had to go to I-40 and you're driving to work and you cut a 40-foot section out of the road, it's going to hinder your way. And husbands, if you do not consider your wife and treat her with respect, your prayers, it's like you taking a dump truck full of boulders and dumping it on the path of your, path, of your road to spiritual maturity. You're not going to grow in Christ if you're being a jerk to your husband. Is what that means. It doesn't mean that you are any less a son or that God will stop hearing your prayers or that he will reject you as his child. No. No, he won your sonship, men, and he's going to maintain it. But it does mean that he's going to be upset with you until you obey him. In a broader context, Our relationship with other people affects our spiritual life. Remember when Jesus said, if you're going to the temple and you're going to give your your sacrifice there, and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave the temple and go and be reconciled to him and then go back. It's this idea that our relationship with one another affects our spiritual life. And we walk around like it doesn't. It's like, you know what? As far as it depends on me, be at peace with all men. And that is like the end stop. We're like, so it doesn't depend on me anymore. I'm done. No. We are to love one another. If you have hurt someone and they have something against you, guess what? It's on you to go to that person. How we treat one another affects our spiritual life. And so many of us just wallow in the immaturity of our pride. And we won't just say, Lord... Where have I wronged someone? How can I make that right? So that's broadly. What want you think about that in the context of marriage. A whole lot of things can be fixed when a husband is humble and can say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to be better. But if you disobey what the Lord is telling us here, don't expect... The kind of prayer that you want. Do you want effectual, righteous prayer? Do you want to be able to pray and have a hedge around your family? Do you want to pray for the salvation of another person? You want to pray that a neighbor comes to know the Lord, that someone grows in grace and truth? You want to have prayers that are powerful? You want to go before the grace, the throne of grace, and and beseech the creator of the universe? To work in someone's life, to work in your own heart, to free you from addiction, to free you from sin? Do you want that? Do you want to have the kind of prayer that makes the devil himself tremble? You better love your wife. You better live with her in a considerate way. You better work to understand her. and You better respect her. Or you're going to be in trouble. So I was looking at how to uh, make this into some kind of application that was useful, it didn't make me feel too bad. <clears throat> I don't usually do acronyms because they're hard and uh, they don't usually work. And, but then this one stuck in my head and I thought maybe it's just dumb enough to work. And I thought maybe if it's dumb enough to make you laugh at it, then maybe it will work. And so, you know, if you engage humor, you remember things better, or fear, but humor is way more fun. So. Um, <laughs> Humor is way more fun. So I came up with an acronym, and uh, that acronym is HUBS, H-U-B-S. I know it's dumb, and you can laugh at it. I want you to laugh at it. Uh, My hope is that the dumber it is, the more you'll remember it. Like, if you want to be a godly HUBS, ladies, if you want a godly HUBS, what do they look like? If you're a single man and you want to be a godly husband, HUBS, H-U-B-S, what does it look like according to this passage? So the H in HUB stands for a heart of a servant. The U stands for understanding. The B stands for bestows honor. And the S stands for son of God. So the H, a heart of a servant. I want you to flip back to Philippians with me. Hopefully that doesn't fall out of my Bible also. And Ephesians, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2, to look at the heart of a servant. Because remember, in the same way, right, Jesus is our example. To this, therefore, you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example for how to live. So in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is looking at Christ's attitude and his humility. And in one of the most amazing passages of Scripture ever written, in my opinion, he says in verse 5 through 11, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So even though Jesus is fully God and fully man, he did not hold on to that deity as something that he would just hold on to, just to hold on to it. But instead, it says what? That he humbled. Oh, I missed my passage here. Turned it. Hold on. I haven't memorized it in a different version, so i got to read it out of this one. Here we go. That he, being in very nature God, but he made himself nothing, void, empty, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Husband, your attitude must be the same as Jesus. That your job is to die to yourself and humble yourself and become obedient to the God who gave you marriage to begin with. Even death on a cross. That was as far as the Lord took it. Therefore God exalted him in the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You aren't Lord. Jesus is. So submit to him and walk in humility and have the heart of a servant. That is the foundation of a godly husband. It is the heart of a servant. So men, if you are single, I want you to think about, I want you to develop the heart of a servant. How do you do that? You read the Word, because the Word will humble you. You get in it, you memorize it, you see who God is, and you pray, and you grow in humility. You ask Him to give you the attitude of a servant. You look at Jesus, and you ask the Lord to make you like Him. You get in community. Community is humbling because you see your own stuff. Everybody else sees your own stuff. And then you pray for your stuff. And it develops the heart of a servant. And then you get out and you serve somewhere. Just find somewhere to serve. It doesn't have to be fancy. Just find a place to serve and serve there. I read a, read a book, a little book, called the uh, Cross-Cultural Servanthood before he moved to Guatemala. It's a wonderful little book. And in it, he says something. He says, servanthood is revealed in simple, everyday events. Servanthood is revealed in simple, everyday events. This idea that most of a servant's heart is going to be displayed in the small things, right? It's going to be displayed in in picking up a pair of socks. It's going to be displayed in, in, in serving someone in the everyday, simple Events. Husbands, you have to figure out how to serve your wife in the simple, everyday things. It may be a grandiose, like, sacrifice. Or it may be putting the dishes in the dishwasher. But you must have the heart of a servant. U is for understanding. So I want to go back and look at this, that word considerate that we looked at earlier. There is this idea um, of understanding in here, and it's this, communication ideally is this process of creating understanding between two groups. And we talk about when I have good communication in marriage, that means that there are two people who are really good at creating understanding between one another. And if you've been around humans for long, you know that one, that's hard, and two, between a man and a woman, it's particularly difficult, because they will look at the same color and disagree. They will look at, one thing and, and think another thing, men and women are different. I don't care what book or what anybody says, we're really different. We think different. How we understand things is different. And so husbands, guess what? You're married to this wonderful, beautiful mystery. I had someone tell me once they were talking about monogamy and marriage. They're like, how could you be, how could it be so boring? be with the same woman your whole life and i was like man you are a fool (laughs) and you are doing it all wrong if you think that being married to the same woman means that it's boring it's the greatest adventure of your life if you do it right because she is not the same person that i married she isn't praise the lord i'm not either there's always there's a joke that you there's always three people that get married right you're always a three people. Uh, you marry th- uh, one person in three, not Trinity, whatever. That your wife is, or your husband, is the person that you thought they were when you got married. They're the person that they really are. And then they're the person that they're going to be because you got married. This idea that marriage changes us. And so, husbands, your wife is changing. you got to learn who she is. That takes work, by the way. Work that takes time Rick Warren said, The most desired gift of love is not diamonds. Sorry, Tim. Not diamonds, <laughs> roses, or chocolate. Listen, <laughs> the most desired gift of love is not diamonds or roses or chocolate. Although, I've yet to meet a woman who does not appreciate those things. So, let me say that. But, the most desired gift of love is not diamonds or roses or chocolate. Get this, it is focused attention. Focused attention. You can't buy that. Uh Uh-uh. But you can give it. And guess what? It's free. It doesn't cost anything. Oh, well, yeah, it kind of does. It's going to cost you closing your mouth and opening your ears. Both of them. You have two. And it's going to take you listening. It's going to take you asking your wife questions. And remember that picture I gave of observing the stars? of the wonder of a child seeing the night sky for the first time? Have you, do you remember the first time you were like out away from the city, up in the mountains, and you could see the Milky Way, and everything was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that that existed? Do you remember that wonder? I want you to apply that same wonder to one woman, your wife. I want you to observe her with the awestruck wonder of a child observing the night sky for the first time. And then I want you to also observe her with the intricate discipline of a scientist, who is investigating, how does this person work? Why does she think that way? Why does she get mad at me? How can I learn? How can I understand? So that you can live in an understanding way. It's going to take time with you. time Your time with her, I'm reading this marriage book, and said that uh, <clears throat> husbands and wives should devote 15 hours a week to uh, um, uninterrupted attention with one another. And I was like, holy smokes! Um, what? I mean, we have four kids. We can't even, like, breathe. We, 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 (laughs) wow, we we have a hard time even figuring out who's taking who to the dentist that week, much less. And then I thought, well, okay, so obviously that's maybe the ideal, and maybe there's a phase of life where we could do that. Although before, when I was courting Jenny, 15 hours a week, I was like, dude, that's like bare minimum. What? 50? Give me 50. I will spend 50 hours a week figuring out who this woman is. Because I cannot live without her, so I've got to get her. And it means i am going to work to find out who she is and grab her. I'm going to spend all of my hours on all of this. That's obviously not, you can't keep doing that and, like, make a living. But there's this idea of do you have time in your week that is dedicated, husbands, to understanding your wife? Do you? If you don't, you've got to just schedule it. Don't ask her to schedule it, okay? Lead. Walk up to her and say, "Hello, beautiful woman. I would like to invest time with you, focus attention on understanding who you are, so that I can better love you and cherish you." Uh, We may laugh. What are you thinking, ladies? Does it sound pretty good? Uh huh. Yeah, it sounds real good. The dudes are like, "Oh, "Oh my gosh." You imagine a men's conference where we're like, we're going to spend focused attention on better understanding who we are so we can love one another better. They'd be like, can we please punch each other and go kill an animal? Let's please do something. Because guys bond by doing stuff, right? Women bond by talking in relationship. So just get over that difference and jump on the train, guys. Focused attention, heart of a servant. Understanding. I want you to invest the rest of your days to understanding this beautiful mystery that you married. Okay? She is a beautiful mystery, a confounding mystery, because ladies, we just, we don't always understand. Show us grace and help us talk like down at our level. <laughs> help us. We're dense. We just don't get it. So be patient with us. And if we, give you the slightest sliver of an invitation, take it with all the gusto that you have, okay? If you slap that down, ladies, he may not be able to give you a whole lot more, okay? If he gives you the slightest invitation to this intimate, I want to know you better, you you cancel whatever you've got to cancel and do it because it's hard for him. Understanding. Second is bestows honor. Excuse me, third, Heart of a servant, understanding and bestows honor. Um, it goes back to this idea of preciousness, right? So, something that is precious has great value, is highly esteemed, cherished, not to be wasted or treated carelessly. So, listen to this with a, a application to a, a wife and ladies who are not wives. This also applies to you that you are of great value highly esteemed, cherished, and you are not to be wasted or treated carelessly. So if you are single and there is a boy who is treating you carelessly, tell him to go home and grow up and come back later. Okay? Say adios, buddy. Because if he's treating you carelessly and he's not married to you, he's not going to get better when you get married. He's going to get a lot worse. Because men are dumb, and that's what we do. So if they're not treating you carefully, you understand that word? If they're not treating you with tenderness, in line with your preciousness, mm -mm. don't go with that guy. One of the difficult things about doing this right now is that uh, a lot of wives are probably thinking, that is not my husband. (laughs) Um, Yep, that's right. No wife in here is thinking, my husband is this perfect hubs. The perfect hubs. That does not exist. There isn't one. Jesus would have been the perfect husband. He didn't marry. He would have ruined it for the rest of us. So uh, so there's no, probably bad theology, but. Ladies, you are a fellow heir of the gift of grace. That means that you can give it to your husbands as they learn. Okay, grace is unearned favor. They need some unearned favor, okay, because we're just as, we're just, we need help. God calls a wife a helpmate because men need help. We need help to be a good husband, and we need encouragement, and like I said earlier, the tiniest sliver that we reach out, would you just grab onto it? But if you're, if you're sitting here thinking about my husband is not like that and you're getting frustrated and you're like, why did you ask us to pray and why are you talking like this? You're making my marriage worse. Your job is the six verses above this one, okay? Your job is to be hopeful and fearless and beautiful and faithful. So focus on that and then encourage your husband as he works toward being the perfect hubs. Precious to bestow honor. The last thing is this, uh, Son of God. I, I chose that because I think it gives a lot of the gravity to our identity. That The, the perfect Hubs is, realizes that he is a son of God and that his wife is a daughter of God. And that it, there's this equality of responsibility in that regard. Both the prince and the princess are equal in their responsibility to live according to the rules of the kingdom. Both a husband and a wife are equally responsible to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Both husband and wife are equally responsible to preach Christ and make disciples. Both husband and wife are equally responsible to love one another, to love the ecclesia, the gathering of believers, to love their neighbor. There's an equality of responsibility. That means that she has equal value, equal worth, equal right in the kingdom of God. It would be hard to encapsulate how massively shocking this would have been to the ancient Romans. They were Women were not equal. They were not fellow heirs. So God is coming in and he is saying, excuse me, I don't really care what the world says. This is what I say and this is what is true, that she is your fellow heir. You are a son of God, and she is a daughter of God. I want you to live that way. Practically what that looks like is this idea of partnership. This idea of partnership. And you know, when you come in for the marriage, right? So the, so the, the preacher's up here, and everybody else is out there, and the bride and the groom, they come up and they stand here, and they hold hands, and they mumble things they're not going to remember, and they, they do stuff, and they, sh- they exchange rings, and boom, somehow in that magical moment they get married. Then the husband gets in a line, and he walks out, and the the wife follows him out. Is that what happens? No. You'd be like, what is this, like, follow the leader? How do they, they run up the aisle holding hands, don't they? Both of them facing the same direction. Partnership is not, you do what I say. Partnership is, how can we do this together? And it's this idea of the fact that we, just like it says earlier, that we have his body hung on a tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So how do we do that together as a married couple? Husband, your, your job is to lead your wife by holding her hand and say, let's figure out together how we can live to righteousness. How can, I grow, how can we grow in grace and truth together? Husbands, pray with your wives. So probably the biggest struggle Jenny and I have is finding time to pray together. It's brutal. We do a terrible job at it. We really do. When we first got married. We didn't know how. Like, I'm like, do you pray? Do I start? Do I start? Do you stop? Do, you just, do I open and you close? I and mean, what do you? Huh? I So dumb, right? I'm like, let's just talk to Jesus together. Don't make it so hard. Just, let's just pray. We're going to pray together. Pray for stuff. As you become parents, you learn, like, you really have to pray more. <laughs> uh, it's like there's literally not time in the day to pray enough. Find time to pray with your wives, fellas. Um, If there's not time to pray with your wives, and this is right back on me, by the way, it's hard to say this. You've got to man up and make it, right? You have to say where, come together with your wife and say, sweet bride, we're going to pray together this week. Make it 30 minutes in a week. 10 minutes a day, I don't care what you do. Set a time. Say, we want to pray together for 30 minutes this week then find the 30 minutes, and then come hell or high water, you guys pray. If something's on fire, just let it burn and pray. All right? If it's the house, go outside. The firemen will come. They're really good at putting out burning houses. Obviously, literally, don't let your house burn. Please don't go burn your house down and pray inside of it. But be be violent in your guardianship of your prayer time with your wife. Okay? I don't want to say be violent, but. This idea that you're both sons and daughters of God, so walk together in, in partnership. Let me say one thing about I forgot to say about honoring. What honors what one woman finds honoring is not necessarily honoring to another woman. Um, maybe your wife feels honored when you, you stand up and, and pull the chair out for her for dinner. So you're saying to everybody like, I honor this woman. And she, maybe she may feel very honored by that, so do that. Maybe she feels honored when you're walking on the sidewalk like, and you walk on the street side, because you're like, man, I will get hit by a car before you do. Um and she may feel very honored by that, so do that. Maybe it's opening the door for her. I don't, whatever that is, got to figure that out. One of the things that makes my wife feel honored is when I empty the dishwasher in the morning. How spiritual is that? Like, while the coffee is making, I take the plates out and I put the forks up. And when the dishwasher is empty, Jenny feels honored. She had to tell me that, okay? I didn't just discern that because of my massive spirituality. Okay, she had to tell me, and then I had to listen, and then I had to do it. You see that progression? I don't know. She tells me so I can understand. I then take that understanding, and then I apply that understanding to life. Some mornings I forget to empty the dishwasher. She's still my wife. It's okay. But that helps her feel cherished, because it's honestly it's because it's easier for the kids to then load dirty stuff in there. But you've got to find out through a process of understanding what it is that makes your wife feel honored. And then whatever that is, as long as it's within the bounds of the rules laid out in the Bible, do it. If she feels honored by worshiping Satan, then don't do that. But chances are she doesn't. So find out what it is that honors her and then do it. And then find out what honors her in a week and do that. And then find out what honors her in five years. and Because what? She, what makes her feel honored is going to change. It's going to change. So you've got to keep learning. I realize that um, marriage is difficult. The main reason that marriage is difficult is because people are jerks. And I am a, a, a people, and therefore I have tendencies to great jerkiness Marriage, as Luther said, kind of rubs your corners off. It's like a table that had a sharp corner, and it gets bumped enough. <laughs> it's Like if you put two freshly cut wooden cubes in a jar and shake them for a long time, you get nice and soft and round. <laughs> That's what happens in marriage. You bump into each other enough, and it gets, the corners get worked off. That's not always a whole lot of fun. Uh, but it's this great process of Christ revealing himself through a husband and a wife. Husbands, if you uh, have not done this well, I've confessed to my wife like 75 times this week about how I'm not doing very well as a husband. Because you prepare a sermon like this and you're like, "Mm, not doing that well. So it looks like walking up to your wife and saying, precious woman, I do not. I'm not a perfect hubs. I do not have a heart of a servant. I do not understand very well. I do not bestow you honor very well. I do not realize the gift that you are as a that I'm a son of God and you're a daughter of God. I'm sorry. Would you, what, what do you think we can do to make this thing better? That's not a bad question. The answer may be terrifying and it may take, I don't know, a decade to figure that out or two or 30 or a lifetime. Can I encourage you to, to keep at it? It's worth it. Can I encourage you not to give up and the reason I ask you not to give up is because the God of all wonders indwells us as people, okay? The God of all creation inhabits us as his children. He empowers us to do the impossible. If Jesus can raise the dead man from the grave, he can raise a dead marriage. He can resurrect and give it new life. Nothing is impossible with God. It's what the angel told Mary when she's like, hmm, I'm going to have a baby. <clears throat> Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. does not mean that it's easy. It does not mean that it's fun. But the result of living a life that God has brought back from the dead is the greatest thing that humans can experience. So I want to encourage you, don't give up. Husbands, Foster the attitude of a servant. Go after it. And if you have questions or struggles, would you please, please, you hear me say this all the time, please talk to somebody. Please, you're not meant to do this thing alone. There are people wise beyond your imagination in this church. People who've been married and have learned this for decades and decades and decades and decades. Talk to them. Reach out. And let's walk through this thing together. Let's, Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great gift of love and for this beautiful thing that we're getting ready to celebrate. It is a beautiful picture of your love for us and what you've done for us. That you've called us to be husbands and wives who glorify you and who look like you. And that we come and celebrate a memorial of you doing that very thing, which is giving yourself up for us. We thank you for your grace and your love toward us. Help us to walk through this well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Communion is this. It's a sacrament. It's been given to us as a commandment from the Lord. And we do it very intentionally. We do the same thing every time we do it. Because it's supposed to remind us of something. That that Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, he took bread and after they'd eaten he sat and he broke it and he said this is my body broken for you for the forgiveness of sins and in the same way after they'd eaten he took the wine and he poured it out and he said this is my blood poured out for you as the blood of a new covenant do this in remembrance of me that every time you do this it's a memorial to me that you were to do until I return. And as Paul warns us in the in 1 Corinthians 11 that we are not to take this lightly. Husbands, wives, what a beautiful opportunity to bring a broken something to the table, to confess what we are not doing well before the Lord and then to ask him in the resurrected body and in the power of the blood to help us to walk in faithfulness in our marriages we take by method of intinction which means that you're going to take some bread and you're going to dip it in the cup this table is not a denominational table it is open to all who profess faith in jesus christ as their savior so would our servers please come forward as we take communion together